commence today's show talking politics with the Democratic strategist Kurt Bardella. Kurt, good to have you on the program. How are you today, sir? Hey, thank you so much for having me on. It's a real honor. It's good to have you on. Thank you for the time. Uh, let me just uh, run through this list of things in this next hour uh, that I that I want to take uh, uh, take your temperature on. I think I want to start with this because it's made such such big news, and I don't know that this is a Kamala Harris uh, misstep or misspeak. I know it's just open up a Pandora's box of conversation, as you well know. Um, Kamala Harris told CBS News that she and President Biden will sh- uh, secure a second term in office, even amid Republican criticism among concerns that Democrats uh, have uh, even about the president's age. But she said that she is prepared to step into the role of president if necessary. I am prepared to step into the role of president if necessary. That's a phrase that perhaps should not have even come out of her mouth. Let's unpack it. Your thoughts uh, just initially on her even saying that out loud. Well, I think, honestly, this is a question that every single person who has ever been asked to serve as a vice president of the United States has to be prepared to say the answer is yes. Of course, the number one criteria for the vice presidency is if you are prepared to assume the presidency if the circumstance requires you to do it. It's the same reason why there was so much skepticism when the then Republican nominee, Senator John McCain, picked Sarah Palin as his vice president. The question of, is this somebody who could honestly be ready to step in and assume the role of the presidency uh, if for some reason that ever had to happen? So, uh, you know, I think that the environment that we are in right now, there's so much focus and conversation, obviously, about President Biden's age. And so this question is coming up more than it has in previous elections and, and certainly in most recent history. But the answer every time for anyone who's ever been the vice president, whether it's Dick Cheney, Mike Pence, Sarah Palin, Joe Biden, uh, in this case, Senator or former Senator, current Vice President Kamala Harris, the answer is always yes to that question, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um. You're right. The answer must be yes. There's no reason to be on the ticket if you can't answer that question in the affirmative. I get that. Uh, but because this case is so uniquely different, given what you just said, that Joe Biden is uh, is advancing in age and there are questions about mm-hmm. his mental acuity and his his his, his physical abilities uh, and falling down and this, that and the other and misspeaking. Uh, and every time Mitch McConnell freezes in public uh, the way he's done a couple of times, never mind what these doctors say, people see what they see. <laughs> And when he has one of those episodes, it reminds people of the president's age. Um, and so this, this this situation is uniquely different, uh, as, as I think you'll concede, than any other position that any prior vice president has been in. And so, again, this notion of her saying, I'm prepared to step into the role of president if necessary, uh, this this headline is everywhere today. Everybody's talking about and parsing what that language actually means. Let me Let me, let me come at this another way. Um, mm-hmm. Not only is, this, is the situation different because of the president's age, of course, but Kamala Harris has, uh, let's just be honest, uh, the Republicans have just, you know, done a whack-a-mole job on her. They have, they have oh, ripped yeah. her to shreds. I mean, mm-hmm. from day one, from the moment yeah, yeah. she got selected, frankly. But certainly in this first term, they have just done a, uh, a job uh, on her uh, day in and day yep. out of just, uh, uh, you know, Treating treating her like a pinata, if I can put it that way, right? That's <laughs> how they, that's how they, that's how they treated her. On the other hand, if I'm being honest, um, uh, it it has appeared to me on a number of occasions that Kamala Harris, I believe, is in over her head. Um, there are certain issues and certain comments and certain behaviors and other issues 
um, that suggests to me that while she's gotten better, I'm the first to admit that she's gotten better over these last uh, this last year or so. But there there was a point in time where it was clear that she was on a steep learning curve uh, and had some work to do. Um, so here's the question I want to put to you, Kurt, when we come forward, and we'll jump from there. And that is whether or not this situation is also uniquely different, not just because of Joe Biden's age, but because Kamala Harris is the vice president. Put another way, I'm wondering whether or not um, the Democrats are going to find themselves in a tough spot getting Joe Biden reelected because everybody knows his age is a factor. And everybody knows if anything happens to him, Kamala Harris becomes the president. And might that be a reason to scare Americans um, considering voting for Joe Biden, because if they think something might happen and this is the person right here who then becomes the president, do I really want to cast my vote in that direction? A lot to unpack. Just getting started with Kurt Bardella on Tavis Smiley. What's your quarrel with the world? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Who do you trust to get at the truth? Tavis Smiley. That's who. The conversation continues right now. He does indeed. Just getting started uh, in this first hour today, uh, talking politics, as we tend to do in the first hour. Not always, but uh, certainly for the next year. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of politics to talk about, a lot of politics to unpack. Uh, and so uh, you can expect to, uh, in one of these hours every day uh, for us to be wrestling with some of these political headlines. And one of the headlines today that everybody's talking about is Kamala Harris's comment uh, to CBS that she is prepared to step into the role of president if necessary. And just that phrase has focused everybody's attention like a laser once again on the president's age and what might happen in a second term uh, if uh, the president ends up having some Mitch McConnell moments where he just freezes. Uh, that would scare people to death, I think, Kurt, if the president did that a couple of times. Uh, and God forbid if something worse happens, um, we are going to be in a situation where Kamala Harris becomes the first woman and certainly the first African-American uh, woman to be president of these United States. And given uh, the way we have seen the Republican Party uh, tear into her over these first four years uh, and given um, that uh, there are concerns about her stewardship uh, of a number of uh, political uh, issues as vice president, there are concerns uh, about about Kamala Harris. And I'm wondering whether or not you think that her being one heartbeat away from the presidency will in any way impact the excitement, the enthusiasm, the turnout for the Biden-Harris campaign uh, in the next uh, 12 months here? You know, I think that's a fair question. Yeah. Uh, and I think that obviously looking at the conversation happening uniquely around the age, frankly, of both the who will be the Republican and Democrat nominees. And sure. let's just be honest here. Neither of them are spring chickens. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, so I, I think that this is going to be a very unique topic that we that we hear a lot about, that every single public statement, every single speech, every single appearance will be hyper scrutinized from here until the end of the campaign. But I think ultimately what really matters is when it comes to voters, when it comes to turnout, when it comes to getting your side out, mobilized and excited, what we have seen now for a long time is that no one has a more motivating impact on getting Democrats to turn to vote than Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And as long as Donald Trump is the man that's on the ticket, 
as the as the opposition and adversary going against Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that Democrats are going to continue to do what we have seen, which is overperform. Uh, we saw that in the 2022 midterms, which was an election that Democrats, frankly, should just gotten shellacked on, given the the way that the approval rating was for the president, given mm-hmm. the situation with the economy. Uh, historically speaking, Republicans should have won 30 or 40 seats in the House alone. They didn't. Uh, they lost a seat in the Senate. Uh, they've they lost in places like Georgia and Arizona, uh, where places that they used to count on to win in these type of off year elections. Uh, we see what happened just recently, um, you know, where initiatives that involve the issue of abortion and women's rights end up driving up turnout big time for Democrats. And even in red states, these initiatives are losing. Uh, I think all of that package together just intuitively tells me that there is going to be plenty of motivation for Democrats to vote. And there's plenty of motivation for people to be turned off by Donald Trump and the extreme brand of MAGA-ish extreme Republican policies, uh, because it's bigger than just Joe Biden or Kamala Harris. Because I think that the ultimately the decision that voters will make is no matter who's actually in the office or how old anybody is, if you think that it's good to ban books, if you think that it's good to lose your rights, if you think that it's good to have you know fat cats in Washington and old white men make decisions about what you can do or can't do with your body – that's really what's at stake in this election. If you think that democracy is worth saving and having free and fair elections without the threat of violence and, and mayhem and criminal activity, like that's the choice that voters are going to make. And that's just a bigger question than how old Joe Biden is or if you're scared of Kamala Harris. And let's just be very clear here. Republicans are going to throw everything they have villainizing and demonizing and using fear to try to scare voters when it comes to Vice President Harris. They've, as you said, they've been doing that for two years now. Mm. Kamala Harris represents everything the Republican Party is terrified of. Mm. A powerful woman of color on the precipice of history. Everything Republicans are doing, every policy that they champion is designed to stop someone like that from reaching for the highest bar possible. So, of course, they're going to try to scare the living daylights out of everybody. I just don't think that they're going to be able to ignore the fact that while they're doing that, their leader, their standard bearer, is going to be spending every other day in court. Yeah, yeah. Let me pivot. I'm, I'm just curious, and I'm not, let me just say up front, I'm not making a comparison. I'm just asking because it popped into my head. Um, how, much, how much of the shellacking that John McCain took you think had to do with the fact that he had Sarah Palin as his running mate? I think that it, I did think it mattered. Uh, Obviously, Barack Obama was a once in a generation political candidate who, you know, his, his skill and charisma, uh, you know, was something that we've never seen in, in, you know, in the 21st century Mm -hmm. here. Um, But I do think that when, when McCain picked Palin, um, that was the beginning of the end right there for his campaign. Um, You know, just someone who was proven to be untested, not knowledgeable, uh, you know, you, you used this phrase earlier, completely in over her head, right. not even having close to the experience that Kamala Harris had when she became vice president, being a former senator, attorney general of California. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so I think that McCain picking Palin, which was a purely political choice designed to cater to the GOP base, it kind of pierced that maverick. Uh, you know, not going to play the same political games brand that he had because he did make the political choice. Uh, had he done what he wanted to do, which was to pick uh, a Democrat, Joe Lieberman, to be his running mate, which is what we learned later on is really what, where his heart lies. That would have been, he may not have won, but it would have been a transformational moment in politics. Instead, he went with 
the most extreme person that really paved the way for the current politics of MAGA and Donald Trump. Before there was Donald Trump, before there was Steve Bannon and Breitbart, there was Sarah Palin. That's what started this whole cycle of of spiraling for the Republican Party. Yep. You are the Democratic strategist. I'm just a lowly talk show host, but I will tell you this, (laughs) Kurt, Kurt Bardella, (laughs) that, that, that I think, I think, uh, I think, what Kamala Harris said, that she's prepared to step into the role of president if necessary, is both the right and wrong answer. Uh, and sometimes uh, it can be both. Uh, it's the right answer, as you said earlier, because you want to know that the vice president uh, is uh, willing and able, able and capable, I, I combine those two words, willing, able, <laughs> and capable uh, of, of stepping into the, the, the office of presidency uh, if uh, necessary, if called upon. So that's the right answer. Yes, I'm ready. If necessary, it's also the wrong answer because it, again, shines this spotlight on this conversation that frankly, they don't want to have because you're a strategist, you know, this message, you know, this uh, point I'm about to make not quite well. When you're on the campaign trail, what you want to do is to stay as they say, what on message you want to stay on message. And I think any commentary that comes out of her mouth about her being ready to assume the role if necessary, uh, again, uh, raises this question this issue that they really don't want to deal with any more than they're going to have to uh, about Joe Biden's age. I think that they got to be more disciplined. She's got to be more disciplined and just staying away from that. There, there are any number of ways to address that issue without using that line. You know, um, you just, you just you, again, you stay on message and you just avoid that sort of terrain. I digress. Yeah. Um, but I, I take your point and, and I've, I've expressed myself. Let me ask well, you this. Here, no, here, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, let, me, let me jump in here for sure, one sure, second. Sure, like, sure, sure. Uh, and I'm going to wear my strategy hat for one second. Okay, here. put it on. Put it on. I I agree with everything you just said. Believe it or not. Um, but here's the only way you can get to that point is if you take that question one time Got directly Got and it. you don't run from it. So now, anytime yeah. she is ever asked again, she gets to say, "You know what? I've asked and answered that question. We're moving on." There you go. Fair enough. Uh, again, that's why you're the strategist, and I'm just talk show host. So I, so I, I take that point, <laughs> uh, and I, 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 frankly, I've used that strategy any number of times in my career. I said I've answered that question one time. I'm not answering it again. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I take, I take your point. Let me ask you this though, just to complicate matters. So we, we all assume, even today, uh, four indictments in and counting. Uh, the assumption is still that Donald Trump is the presumptive Republican nominee. Um, given mm-hmm. that Kamala Harris was a U.S. senator uh, and uh, obviously an African-American, and given that Tim Scott is a current U.S. senator and an African-American, if Donald Trump were to pick Tim Scott, what does that do? Um, I don't think it actually helps them uh, at all, because I think right now the one issue that is destroying the Republican Party, uh, electorally speaking, is abortion. Mm -hmm. I believe strategically they have to put a woman on the ticket in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I think that it would be uh, an interesting move to put Senator Scott on the ticket, and I think that that could be a very interesting dynamic. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also don't think that Scott's the right guy for Donald Trump because Scott's brand is this nice guy, positivity, uh, a different type of politics. And that's like the exact opposite of Donald Trump. Like Tim Scott would spend the entire campaign answering questions like, 
Senator, do you agree that Donald Trump said that this person is terrible? Do you believe that it's a mm-hmm. good idea to make fun of handicapped journalists? Do you think it's, an, it's the right thing to do to grab them by the, you know, what, like, mm-hmm. Trump's going to say all kinds of crazy stuff, especially as he's dealing with his legal issues. And Tim Scott's going to have to answer the question. Do you agree with Donald Trump that the, the last election was stolen, that, you know, January 6th people should be pardoned? It's like, it's just going to be a laundry list of things that are co- the complete opposite brand of Senator Scott. And so I just don't think that would ever really work for either of the candidates, for either Trump or Tim Scott. And I just think ultimately the Republicans know that they need to put a woman on the ticket to try to make some headway politically on the Roe v. Wade issue. So if you're right about that, and that's, again, why you're a brilliant strategist, um, uh, if you're right about that, it would seem that Nikki Haley would be, you know, her her, um, her comments about Trump notwithstanding, she's been the one that's been, you know, one or two people. I mean, I'm not really counting Asa Hutchinson um, or, 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 or Will Hurd. But she's the right. one. She's the one of those top tier, and I say top tier. I, I put that in air quotes because none of them are polling. With none, none of them are polling well, as you know. But of those, right. of those well-known top tier candidates, um, aside from Chris Christie, um, she's the one who's been, you know, um, I think the most forthright. Uh, and I'm, I'm putting that in air quotes as well because I, I don't know how forthright <laughs> these people have been at all. But she has certainly held him to uh, has held him to task, saying that she doesn't think the country is going to elect anybody who's been um, indicted as many times as Donald Trump has. She, sh- she said that and other things in a variety of ways, uh, offering some candor, some truth about the way the country sees Donald Trump. Now, having said that, she's also the only woman out there uh, at, at at this level um, that I can see right now uh, that uh, uh, Trump might consider putting on the ticket. Uh, am I missing somebody? Uh, you know, I think that one of the people that I noticed um, during that last, we'll call it a debate, <laughs> that mm-hmm. the Republicans had not that long ago, uh, I noticed that uh, South Dakota Governor Christy Noem ran a TV ad during that debate that was basically a, hey, pick me for vice president ad, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was very interesting. Um, I, I don't think that Donald Trump is going to pick someone that is running against him. Um because I don't think his ego would ever allow him to do that, to be right. quite honest. Uh, you, you know, uh, unless that person is just effusively, uh, you know, praising him left and right. But mm-hmm. um, I, I think that that he, as what we've seen about him, he views people who do anything contrary to what he wants them to do as a as a grave betrayal. Yeah. Uh, and and they're you know that they're trading on I made that person that person owes me and that I mean that's what we're seeing with how he has handled Ron DeSantis I mean you know he's like I made Ron DeSantis and how dare he even run for for anything um, while I'm still out there so uh, I I think that the the vice presidency pick for the Republicans and especially again looking at it through the lens it'll probably be a woman like you're gonna hear names like. You know, Governor Noam. You're going to hear names like Elise Stefanik, like Carrie Lake, like Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene. Like that, that's the direction I think that Trump is going to go. Yeah. There's another major story out today um, with some new uh, poll data uh, from this is from CNN. Uh, and their headline suggests that Biden's unpopularity could give Trump his shot at reclaiming power. That Biden's unpopularity could give Trump his shot at reclaiming power. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm working my way through this piece, but there are a couple of things that jumped out at me when I saw the headline this morning uh, prepping uh, to come on the air today. Uh, and the first is that both of these guys are unpopular. <laughs> number one. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm going to fall for that banana in the tailpipe, as we say, because uh, they're both unpopular. But 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 number two, I had a guest on this program a week or so ago who said something that I hadn't really thought about. And I've been noodling uh, it since then. And, and that is that given how divided the country is 
from this point forward, it is highly unlikely that we will ever, 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 ever have a president whose popularity numbers rises above a certain point. And it's not going to rise above that point again because the country is so divided um, that you're not going to have a candidate who can, you know, no matter how populist his or her agenda is, th there's no there's no pluralism here. You're not going to get above 50 percent uh, ever again because, again, the divisive nature of our politics. So I'm not sure I buy this headline that Biden's unpopularity could give Trump a shot at reclaiming power. I see what they're getting at. What's your take on that, Kurt Bardella? Uh, that's 100 percent right. Uh, we are in a incredibly polarized country right now. And the days in which any president consistently pulls above 50% are over. No yeah. matter who the president is, at least 35% of the country is going to hate that president no matter what, just because they have an R or a D next to their name. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it would be different if the poll was Biden's widely unpopular, but Donald Trump is, is hugely popular. Well, yeah, that would be a problem, obviously, but that's not the case. Trump is wildly unpopular, too. Mm -hmm. Everyone is wildly unpopular. Like, nobody loves anybody right now. Like, there's nobody that anyone in this country, that 60% of this country is going to say, that would be an amazing president. Mm -hmm. We just aren't there right now. We're too divided. Uh, and, you know, and again, these polls are meaningless. They, they are not indicative of voter behavior at all. If they were, Biden's underwater approval rating would have resulted in a GOP red wave during the midterm elections, and that did not happen. It mm -hmm. wasn't even a wave. It was a ripple. Um, and so, like, barring a, a, a catastrophic event that unites the country temporarily, perhaps, yeah. uh, you know, outside of those type of one-off situations, yep. no president is going to be getting above 50% for a long period of time ever again. I'm, glad you, I'm glad you made that last point because nobody seems to remember that. Uh, they thought that Biden was going to take a, a shellacking uh, in the midterms. He did not. There was not this big red wave that people predicted. Of course, there wasn't a president on the ballot either. That's the other side of the argument, but it didn't happen as they predicted. So, uh, again, take these polls for what they're worth. More with Kurt Bardella talking politics on Tavis Smiley when we come forward. Interrogating and unpacking. That's what we do around here. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Smart talk for curious people just like you. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. 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 Tavis Smiley and Kurt Bardella, uh, to be exact. As we talk uh, politics in this first hour today, uh, Kurt Bardella, Democratic strategist, uh, and we are moving through a number of headlines politically um, that um, need some uh, some interrogating, including the following. Um, uh, Kurt, you got your seatbelt on? Oh, yes, sir. All right, here we go. Here we go. Um, here's some breaking news for you. Uh, Mike Huckabee. You, you, oh, you, you recall, he, says, he says, oh, God. <laughs> you recall Mike Huckabee, right? Uh, uh, unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, for, former Arkansas governor, wants himself uh, a candidate for uh, the, uh, the Republican nomination and now and has been for some time uh, a uh, media pontificator. His daughter, as you know, is now the governor of Arkansas. Uh, but Huckabee says, and I quote, 2024 will be the last election decided by ballots rather than bullets if Donald Trump loses over legal issues. 2024 will be the last election decided by ballots rather than bullets if Donald Trump loses over legal cases. Now, this is exactly the kind of rhetoric that one does not need in a campaign like this. Um, all the data indicates that there's going to be a, 
a significant uptick for those who watch this kind of stuff. I've talked to many of them. Everybody concerned about a significant uptick in political violence uh, between now and uh, Election Day. Um, and you got Mike Huckabee saying what I just uh, quoted, that, that this is the last election to be decided by ballots rather than bullets if Donald Trump loses over these legal cases. I don't. I don't even know what to say about that, Kurt. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you say something because I don't. I don't want to say the wrong thing on family radio. So I'll let you. I'll let you respond. Well, it sure sounds like that's something a domestic terrorist would say that if they don't get their way, mm-hmm. there's going to be violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am so sick of of the Republican Party standing by and allowing people like Mike Huckabee to broadcast this type of garbage, this anti-democratic rhetoric. Uh, and not call it out for what it is. It's domestic terrorism. Uh, the idea that if Donald Trump is held accountable for his alleged crimes, uh, that there would be violence and that we will never have a violence-free election ever again. Like That is a chilling thing for anyone to say, especially somebody who once aspired to be the president of the United States. And after what we saw on January 6th, we know the rhetoric isn't just words. It's not just hyperbole. It's not just shock jock for effect, you know, BS. The people who are the audience of the MAGA extremists, they treat these words like marching orders. They will act on them. And when, when, when there is violence, when there is bloodshed, people like Mike Huckabee and anybody that's in that party that doesn't call this out right now, they will have blood on their hands. Mm. Um, let me probe this a little further um, because it's one thing for Huckabee to say that, it's another thing for it to become a self-fulfilling prophecy, which is the point that you made a moment ago. And I think we can't ignore this kind of rhetoric. We can't ignore this kind of language, uh, this verbose uh, kind of language coming out of Mike Huckabee's mouth that uh, this is the last election to be decided by ballots rather than bullets if Trump loses. That, that's It's it's nonsense, and, and you're right. It's um, it's provocative. Um, and it's the kind of stuff that, that, that amps up um, these um, crazies on the right. That said, uh, we just saw the news earlier this week that the former head of the Proud Boys got what twenty-two years. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty pretty serious sentence, pretty stiff sentence. And there are others uh, who didn't quite didn't didn't quite get twenty-two years, but there were others in this Proud Boy uh, uh, in in these uh, in these cases, uh, the Proud Boys in these cases, I should say, who had significant time uh, thrown at them in their cases. I raise that only because yeah. it's one thing again for my company to say it. It's another thing for it to actually come uh, to come uh, into reality. And I'm, I'm wondering whether or not those who would be animated um, uh, by comments like the ones that my company has made will think twice when they reconsider the, the prison terms that these persons engaged in January 6th are being given here again. Earlier this week, the former head of the Proud Boys, 22 years for his role in the January 6th insurrection. So I'm wondering if it's just rhetoric. And again, I don't think we should ever ignore the rhetoric. Um, Is it just rhetoric or is there any realism here? And is that realism tempered by the fact that you could get a lot of time in prison um, if you get out there and act a fool in this way? You know, the way that these people operate, it's no different than how terrorist cells like Al-Qaeda operate. They make their followers believe that there is something noble in fighting this fight. They make them believe, and they espouse this all the time, the system is rigged against you, the deep state's coming after you, the Democrats are going to lock you up, so we have to fight back now because if it happens to you, it can happen to all of us. 
And then when these people go down and are held accountable for their crimes, they turn they they turn them into martyrs. So like, look, this happened to Enrique Torrio. Like this is this this they're coming for us. They turn it into a rallying cry. And all of their followers, they're, they're extremists. They're part of this cult. They have been radicalized by the MAGA terrorist cell. And they will continue to escalate this until there's political leadership within their own party that tells them to knock it off. But there isn't. They're all cowards. The leaders like Kevin McCarthy, like Mitch McConnell, the so-called establishment of the party that's been completely overrun and hijacked and contaminated by the MAGA extremists, uh, they just sit idly by while this stuff happens. Um, and, and the result is going to unfortunately be mayhem, violence, chaos, uh, and, and, and bloodshed. I, you know, they're, they're calling their shot. Mike Huckabee, you know, the, who, who is a white nationalist at this point, for crying out loud, is calling his shot. And uh, no one should be surprised at all when some of these people take matters into their own hand and go to a polling booth. Uh, in a predominantly black community with their legally purchased NRA-inspired AR-15 uh, on election day. Because that's, that's the play that we're headed towards mm. uh, with rhetoric like that being so openly broadcasted. So the argument that Mike Huckabee is advancing, as you well know, is that uh, Trump's legal woes um, are really part of a politically motivated scheme uh, 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 from the Biden administration. That's that's the argument, and that, that argument is taking hold, it appears, quite nicely certainly with Trump's base and with uh, Republicans uh, more broadly. Um, and so I have been concerned and remain concerned about whether or not the frame that we are in, where it appears that, to that to that audience at least, it appears not that Donald Trump is a criminal, but that the Biden administration and Democrats are, again, politically motivated in coming after Donald Trump. One of the things that adds to that, uh, there's, there's a long list of issues I could point to um, that makes them feel that way. But to add to that list, uh, we discussed this a bit yesterday. I want to get your take on it as a Democratic strategist. There is now this uh, constitutional debate over Trump's eligibility to run, um, and it's, 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 it's taking hold with a number of Secretary of States and AGs around the country. The idea of barring Donald Trump from seeking the presidency on grounds that it would violate a particular clause of the 14th Amendment. You've been reading about this. Mm -hmm. It's a case specifically out of Colorado. But there are other persons now, uh, again, as I mentioned, in, uh, in positions of authority around the country, who are also taking a look at this clause in the 14th Amendment and whether or not um, there is a way uh, to keep him off the ballot. We'll talk about that with Kurt Bardella when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. For all the freedom-loving folk, this is Tavis Smiley. I feel like free. Let's get back to more of Tavis Smiley right now. Indeed, uh, Kurt Bidella, uh this is the, const- uh, the the conversation rather that uh, we are told uh, that's been that's been happening for a while now. It's, it's just now starting to make national news. But the backstory on this is that there are a number of secretaries of state around the country who apparently have been having these conversations amongst themselves. Here's the theory: If you've not heard this, here's the theory relative to the Fourteenth Amendment. Let me just break it down for you right quick. So the legal theory argues that Trump is constitutionally disqualified from running for president under the 14th Amendment's insurrection clause, which states that anyone who engaged in insurrection or rebellion after taking an oath of office to defend the Constitution is forbidden from holding public office. The theory, of course, the theory that is, is uh, rarely 
been tested, certainly here in modern times, creating a significant degree of uncertainty uh, about who even has the ability, Kurt, to make the determination of whether Trump should be kept off the ballot, let alone what is legally considered an insurrection or rebellion. But now that theory is being tested. But that's the argument, that under the clause, uh, the insurrection clause, the 14th Amendment, he would be violated from even appearing on a ballot uh, because of um, his engagement in insurrection or rebellion activity. Now, there are 50 states, as we know, there are 50 different ways of doing this. And I can see a situation, Kurt, want to take your read on this. I can see a situation where some of those 50 states go about this in their own way. And if this thing, if you play this all the way out, there could, in fact, be a number of states that read the 14th Amendment in this way. I'm talking now clearly about blue states. But what if some of these mm-hmm. blue states, some of these secretaries of state and AGs in blue states, read the 14th Amendment this way and refuse uh, Donald Trump to be on the ballot in their states? I mean, you, you got a real mess on your hands, and we ain't, we ain't even got to the Electoral College and what that looks like at that <laughs> point. But but anyway, I'll shut up. You, you, you take my point. What's, what's your read of all of this? conversation about the 14th Amendment and whether or not there's a way to keep him off the ballot in certain states or all states? Well, I think ultimately, no matter where this starts with whatever state, in this case, Colorado, it will ultimately end at the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's going to be the ultimate arbiter or something like this. Uh, I I certainly, from a legal scholastic standpoint, understand and and agree. Like the the amendment, the 14th Amendment is pretty straightforward uh, about what disqualify someone from running for office in this case uh and you know <laughs> how we would allow someone who fomented a rebellion uh, and a violent overthrow of the certification of a free and fair election that person should never be allowed to run for any public office ever again that person belongs in jail and if anybody else had done this that's what exactly what would have happened by now uh so i get that part of it mm-hmm. however from a health of democracy standpoint, the voters ultimately are, are the ones who have to make that decision. Um, I think that our country is too fractured. We are, we, are, we are hanging on by a thread right now. I don't know if people realize how close to the edge we really are. Uh, and that if, if there is a judicial process that removes the, pe- the, the person that Republican voters certainly believe should be their representative on that ticket, um, on the ballot, that's going to, I can't even imagine what's going to happen, but it's going to be messy. It's going to be violent. It's going to be ugly and it could rip our country to shreds. And I just don't know that we're strong enough right now as a union to withstand something like that process unfolding. Whereas the best outcome really is for the voters to make that decision definitively as they have done, uh, all throughout history. We've never had a situation where somebody was denied the opportunity to run nevertheless the person who's who's frankly the front runner as well yeah uh that's very very dicey and ultimately again the supreme i don't i don't believe that the supreme court that has a brett kavanaugh on it that has trump appointed justices is gonna is gonna do that anyway yeah um dicey is the right word it's a dicey situation uh but uh trust and believe you'll be hearing a lot more about it uh in in the weeks and months ahead this idea of barring donald trump from seeking the presidency on grounds that it would violate the 14th amendment given uh, his role in um, the insurrection 
uh, or rebellion, as it were, on on January the sixth. You you choose your word. Uh, and how do you define that anyway? And moreover, he has not been as yet, uh, Kurt, as you know, found guilty of that. He's been charged on that, indicted on it. But he's not been found guilty of it. So, again, dicey is the right word. We'll leave it there for the moment. We'll come back to it. I promise you in the coming weeks there will be a lot more conversation about it. When we uh, come forward uh, with Kurt Bidella and our remaining moments with him, I could have started our conversation here, but I mentioned a few times he's a brilliant Democratic strategist, but he was once a staunch Republican and a rising star, believe it or not. Um, we'll hear about that when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. From the Merck Park with love, love this love. is Tavis Smiley. He's rooting for everybody black. Everybody black. black. More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Right now. Right now. Got about the, uh, three and a half uh, quick minutes here, Kurt Bidell. I want to hear just a, a quick word on your personal transformation. But before I do that, some more uh, news uh, just coming out now. Um, 13 presidential libraries have just released a statement from from Hoover uh, literally to Obama. 13 different presidential libraries have released a statement um, uniting, uh, calling rather for the uniting uh, of uh, of the of American fellow citizens uh, in light of the fragile state of U.S. democracy. Those are their words. Uh, the fragile state of U.S. democracy means that it is time for Americans to unite uh, to save this democracy. Thirteen uh, presidential libraries have come out and released a statement that has a, a great deal more in it. I don't have time to delve into it. But what do you make of that at a moment like this, that 13 uh, presidential libraries, Republicans and Democrats, have put out a joint statement, Kurt, saying that it's now time to, to save this democracy? Uh, I think that the alarm bells are sounding, that you know, there is a widespread recognition that democracy itself is in peril, uh, and that when you have comments like we talked about earlier by people like Mike Huckabee, that you know bloodshed and bullets are coming for us if, if, if Republicans don't get to hang on to the reins of power, uh, like th- that just solidifies why it's so important that the, protecting the health of our democracy remains a top priority focus of all of us. Yeah. Uh, because we see all around the world, all throughout history, democracies fall. That can happen. Yeah. If you are complacent, if you take it for granted, uh, if you are careless with it, it will go away. And this this you know unification yeah. that spans multiple Democrat, Republican you know presidents and their institutions, they're sounding the alarm at the highest level. Yeah. We need to pay attention to it. This release uh, emphasizes the need for compassion, tolerance, and pluralism while urging Americans to respect democratic institutions and uphold secure and accessible elections. Again, a statement out now. You can find it online from 13 presidential libraries warning of the fragile state of our democracy. In the 90 seconds I have left, uh, Kurt, uh, you've written about this extensively, but give me the, give me the, uh, the, uh, the 90 second version of, of, of how you went from being a staunch Republican and a rising star in that party to being a democratic strategist. You know, I came up in politics you know, right out of high school in Southern California in San Diego right after 9-11. And at the time, I kind of associated being a Republican uh, with, with patriotism because of what happened after 9-11. And at that time, my area, my community was a predominantly Republican one. It's now today because of the complete opposite. But that's really what was only around me was Republicans. And so that's kind of how I got my start in politics and, and working through and working up in the Republican Party ranks and getting to Washington into Congress. But in 2016, as I started seeing the transformation happen before my very eyes, I knew that that was not something I wanted to be a part of, that I couldn't look myself in the mirror and feel good about helping and elevating 
this party where it was going. And so I made the decision in early 2016, well before Trump was ever the Republican nominee. And then I just saw where it was going and I left. I said, I'm out. I don't want to be a part of this. And in fact, I'm not just leaving. I'm going to try to help and do everything I can to advocate for Hillary Clinton, uh, because that's that's how important this this election and this inflection point in history is. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to be on the right side of that history. And ever since then, I've been working uh, every day to try to help as many Democrat causes as I can, because I believe in the issues. I believe we need gun reform. I believe climate change is the greatest existential threat to our country, to our, not just our country, but to our planet. Yeah. I believe in women's rights. I believe in choice. I believe in diversity. I believe in equality. I believe in rooting out social injustice. Uh, there's no place for someone who believes in those things in the Republican Party. And so I'm, I'm very proud to be a member of the Democratic Party. I am always uh, 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 excited by and uh, curious about people's stories of personal transformation. And I'm glad we had at least uh, a minute or two there for you to share a bit of that. His name is Kurt Bardella, Democratic strategist. Kurt, good to have you on. We'll do it again down the road. I appreciate your time, friend. All the best to you.